Um, we have been going through the book of John. And um, as it says up here, John is the non-synoptic gospel. All that means is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're pretty similar. Those gospels are pretty similar in the stories that they tell and the viewpoint that they're coming at it from. Um, but John's is a little different. It's a different viewpoint. Um, it, it tells different stories um, that are still in line with, with, the, with what Jesus has done, but it's, it's, it's written a different way. It's like um, a different source material, right? It's like, you know, when you listen to the news and you hear one news story and you turn the channel and the news is completely different? You know that? Have you ever experienced that? Except both of these are really true, right? It's just two different accounts. And um, I'm just going to give a, a brief recap of what we've been doing in John. So as I like to say, Previously in John. John starts off like this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what John's doing is, is he's establishing who Jesus is, is that he's God and that he's always been, his eternality. Um, then we have uh, Jesus getting baptized You've heard of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preparing the way, telling people that, hey, the Messiah is coming. And then while he's baptizing people, he sees Jesus coming. And this is what he says. He says, behold, the lamb that will save the world from his sins, the, the lamb that will take the sins of the world, right? Again, this is John telling us who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, right? And then Jesus gets baptized. Um, he starts calling his disciples, he starts going um, and, and seeing people and said, hey, come and follow me. And um, we saw last week that Jesus performed his first miracle, right? Like he turned water into wine. He's at a wedding. It's among family and friends. It's, it's more of a quaint ordeal. And they run out of wine. And, and Jesus' mom's Mary is like, she's like, hey, hold on. Let me ask my son to do something, Right? And she goes, Jesus, you know, they've ran out of wine. And he's like, what? Come on. He's like, a, it's almost like an embarrassed kid moment, right? He's like, come on, mom. Not right now, right? And um, Mary's just like, do whatever my son says, right? And he turns all this water into wine. And people are like, what the heck? And not only wine, but it's like the best wine. Which brings us up um, to today. Oh, sorry. Um, this is the wrong thing right here. Hold on, let me go to this one real quick. This is the thing about um, what he's writing, though. John could be summed up like this. He, he even writes it. He says this. He's writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when you put your trust in him, you will have a life that lasts forever through his name. So everything in the book of John is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So when we're reading this, when we're looking through John, everything John's writing is to point to this. Right? He says, don't miss this. Everything I'm writing is to show you that Jesus is the Christ and you could put your trust in him and you'll have eternal life. So that's what it's all about. And um, today we're going to look at, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at um, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, um, Bibles are really easy to come by and I don't know why you don't have one. Just joking. We have it on the screen. I'll have it here on the screen. But just, just real quick before we um, go through this, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, these kind of sermons are hard for me. I'm more of what you might call a, a topical preacher, right? They, they'll say, hey, Fulton, we want you to talk about faith or, hey, talk about freedom. Like, 
Fulton, talk about one word, right? Because that's my mental capacity. Because I have like 80, uh, ADHD, right? Which is just like um, ADD, but like with in high definition, right? And so it's hard for me because I have to read all these scriptures and I'll read all these scriptures and every time I read it, something else stands out to me and I'm like, what am I supposed to talk about? And so please bear with me as we go through this. I'm gonna share the things that, that God's put on my heart to share and if you get something else out of it or whatever, praise Jesus. Let's just start um, here in um, verse 13. It says, when it, oh, it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove from the temple courts both the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your father's house will consume me. Then the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and sending him to us, God. And we thank you for this um, account of what Jesus did at the temple, Lord. And I just pray right now, God, that you would um, open the eyes of our heart and our ears so that we could hear your still small voice this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you just be with me as I, as I talk. And if I say something dumb or wrong, which is bound to happen, Lord, that everybody in here would know that's just me messing up, God. And they would give me all the credit for that, Lord. But if anybody hears something that, that just cuts to the heart, Lord, that they feel that is speaking to them, Lord, I, I just pray that they would know that that's you. That's you talking to them. And you'd get all the credit for that, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Everybody, people are familiar with the story, Jesus clearing the temple. Anybody? Some of you. Some of you. So some of you guys are like, whoa, I didn't know Jesus did that. Right? But I'm going to give you a little bit of, of context real quick. Um, so in the beginning of the passage, it says that Jesus was on his way to the temple. Right? The temple is the most important place in all of Judaism. It's the important, most important place of Israel in Jerusalem. It is this gigantic place where God resides, where God says, this is where my presence is, the temple. And it's the most holy place for any Jewish person or any follower of Yahweh, right? And so he's on his way to the temple, and it's during the time of Passover, and uh, Passover is a celebration, celebrating the time when God liberated his people from Egypt. 
and it's uh, one of the most sacred holidays for, for, for Jews. And so what he's doing is it was required in the day, in the law, in the, if you look in the Old Testament, it was required for any adult male Jewish person to, on the, during, the, during the feasts, so this is the feast of the Passover, there was three feasts, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the Tabernacles, and the feast of um, Pentecost. You were required by Mosaic law, if you were a Jewish boy over the age of 13, to go to the temple, right? To go to the temple during this time and to provide some money and to provide a, um, a sacrifice, right? It was the tradition. It was law for them, religious. But um, over time... Over time, as the Jews um, were conquered and scattered and people started moving away, they amended the law. You know how they, they, make an, they made an amendment and they said, okay, only Jewish males who live in a 15-mile radius are required to come, right? But what you have to know is this, is that it was every Jewish man's desire to be at the temple during the time of Passover and during these feasts. They wanted to be there. Right? And some people who live far away, like they would just want to go once in their life. They wanted to make the pilgrimage to be in God's house, God's dwelling place to do this. Right? And so it's the time of Passover. People are coming. Um, so they, I told you they, they were required to pay a temple tax. Right? So every household was um, required to pay a half of a shekel during this time. You were supposed to come and give your, your temple tax, and then you were also supposed to bring a sacrifice with you, an animal sacrifice, right? You're supposed to bring one of these things with you. It's just like church now, right? Like we don't even pass around an offering plate now. Um, they would bring an animal for sacrifice. So you got to imagine this, like, like historians say that like one to two million people during these festival times would converge on this place on the temple it would have been crowded everybody's coming in it's like when when we have the the triple crown going on and everybody's coming in when passover was happening when the the festival of the uh the feast was happening when uh pentecost was happening everybody was coming in everybody was coming in to celebrate this and so it would have been jam-packed so um jesus comes and um what's the big deal like when Jesus comes there, like we hear this and we, we say, okay, so people are, are selling animals and yeah, I guess that's okay. And people are changing money. Um, this is what Jesus saw though when he came. It says when it was almost time for him, he went up and he found people selling cattle. This is inside the temple courts. He found people setting, selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at table exchanging money, Right? Now, what's interesting to know is this, is that this is not Jesus' first trip to the temple, right? We know that there's a story of him being there as a boy, right? And as a Jewish man, he's 30 years old by this point. He's probably been a bunch of times. So this is something he would have seen over and over again, right? And the people have seen it. They had become accustomed to it. And what's interesting is this, like when we hear like, oh, they're selling stuff at church, that sounds terrible. And they're, they're selling doves and changing money. But look at, it didn't start off terrible. It didn't start off. You know those memes that say, you know, how it started, how it's going now? No? Anybody know those? Yeah, you know those, right? It started off with actually with a good purpose, right? 
It started off with maybe a little bit of convenience. This, it wasn't always in the temple. It used to be across the way, right? And you would have travelers coming and, and they would have to bring animals a long way with them, right? And so instead of having to bring one with them, they could pick one up there. You know, when you say, hey, when you go on vacation, we'll just get it there. We'll go to Walmart when we land. We'll get all the stuff we need there, right? It was a thing of convenience. But the thing is this, is that you're, according to Mosaic law, your animal had to be blameless, not blameless, but spotless. It had to be a good. You couldn't give up an animal that had a, like a broken leg or something or had spots and blemishes. It had to be temple worthy, right? And so a lot of times when they would come, they would have their animal, you had to have your animal inspected by the priesthood. And most times they would say, nah, it's not going to make it. You're going to have to buy one of ours, right? And the changing of the money, here's the thing. You had to pay, you had to pay a shekel. You had to pay in their currency, temple currency. And everybody didn't use temple currency. Rome was ruling the world. People had their own types of currency, but not all things were accepted at the temple, right? They only accepted certain coins. And so you had money changers there. They would say, oh, give us your money. Your money works everywhere else, but it's not gonna work at the temple. We'll change it for you for a price. And what it started to happen was, where it was once across the street, it started getting closer and closer. And by this visit, Jesus says, it's in the outer, it's in the courts of the church. It's in the courts of the temple. People have animals, you know, and they're making noises and they're doing what animals do all over the ground, right? And people are haggling. And it had become, like this had become big business, Big business, and they're exploiting these people who are coming to worship. All of a sudden, yeah, you would bring, it's like um, they'd bring their animals, right? Especially if they were poor and stuff, they would either have, most of them would bring a lamb, but if you were poor, you'd bring a, a, a pigeon, and um, they were never good enough, right? The ones that they brought from their house, all of a sudden it was like never good enough, right? Like it didn't transfer. Have any of you guys ever tried to transfer college credits? Yeah? Oh, yeah, these ones aren't going to work. This English class is not going to, no, nothing to work. You're going to you're gonna have to take this English class again because it doesn't work here, right? And so what they're doing is they were marking up the prices, and they were doing this all year long, but during temple celebrations, it said that they would mark it up like 600%. They were price gouging, right? And Jesus comes in there, and he sees this. He sees this. Right? And what's, what's very, very interesting is um, in, in, in Jewish um, religion is that it's all about clean and unclean. And during this time of Passover, they would have to clean their house within every inch. There couldn't be a bit of dust anywhere in their home. Right? No dust anywhere. No yeast anywhere in their home. They had to get it all out. But yet in God's house, there was cows and people yelling and selling stuff. It was a mess. And this is what Jesus saw when he got there. So what did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do. What did Jesus do when he saw all this? This is the part, it, it gets, it's really crazy. Let's look at it. It says, so he made a whip out of cords. Let that just sink in for a minute. So he made, like, he made a whip. He saw this and he goes and he starts taking some cords and making a whip. Like last week, we got Jesus turned water into wine. This week, we got him turning cords into a whip. But what does this tell? Like, 
first of all, this tells us, number one, this is, this is premeditated. Yeah? This is calculated. This is not Jesus seeing something and flying off the handle into some sort of fit of rage. He goes and he starts making a whip. What did that look like to the disciples? Like, hey, what's Jesus making over there? I don't know. Maybe he's making like a lanyard for his keys. I don't know. Right? And they're like, oh, it looks like a whip. A whip? Why would he be making a whip? And then he starts heading to the temple. He's like, where is he going with that whip? Think about that. He uses this whip and he goes and he says, he starts turning, um, he starts driving everything, both the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he says, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me, which is just a, they were, they were remembering Psalm 69, 9. It says, for zeal for your house consumes me and insults those who insult, um, and those you insult, who insult you fall on me. He's saying, man, you're, you've changed my father's house and I'm passionate about it. Now, this is a crazy story about Jesus. This is not the Jesus that, that you see sitting in a field with a little lamb talking to a, a five-year-old kid, right? He's packing a whip. And it's, it's weird because, man, we live in a time right now like, dude, we've had a, a really tough week, yeah? The stuff that's going on in our, in our country and in the world is so heavy, and there's nothing I could say to comfort you. All I know is that, we all need Jesus. And I would love to come up here and just talk about running to Jesus. But in this story that I'm saddled with today, I have Jesus going to the temple and using a whip, throwing things over, getting the cattle out of there. Kicking over money tables, coins going everywhere. Let that sink in for a minute. It does not compute. It doesn't work with what we usually think of Jesus. So Jesus does this, and you got to imagine this, like, like, it's not just okay to do, you can't just go into a place. Like, even here, right, if someone just came in here and started kicking tables over, we'd be like, hey, what's going on? Someone would go and talk to them, this is not allowed. But here, this is the most sacred place in all of their country. And Jesus is going and doing something, and he's wrestling, and he's disturbing the establishment. He's, a, he's disrupting the status quo. No one would have sat back idly and said, oh, this is okay. Oh, what's he doing here? They would have been like, what's going on? Why is he doing this? And this is what they say. This is how the people respond to Jesus. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Right? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it had taken 46 years to build this temple like this. In fact, they were still building it at this time. And you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Um. As soon as they see this, they say, well, by whose authority are you doing this? Whose authority? By what authority are you doing these things? Like, who said you can do this? They knew, here's the thing, they wanted to know, like, you had to be someone special to do this. And they knew that what prophecy said about the Messiah coming and going to the temple and cleansing it. 
And so what they're saying is, is like, are you the Messiah? Show us a sign. Show us your authority. Like it wasn't authority enough that he just did that. How often do we do that? We want to know authority. Like my kids all the time, right? If, if my, my daughter will tell my son he's not supposed to do something that he knows he's not supposed to do, she'll be like, hey, Brexton, you, you know, you shouldn't be watching TV right now. He, he can care less. He's like, thanks, thanks for the reminder, Isabella. I'm going to keep watching TV, right? But if she comes in and says, you better turn that TV off. And he's like, why? He's like, because dad said, and he's coming up the stairs right now. Then there's some authority to it, right? When someone tells you what to do, you're like, who are you? Right? When a cop shows his, 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 his lights and you pull over, yeah, and he says, hey, you know how fast you're going? You're like, yeah, I'm sorry. You try to get out of the ticket. But if some dude just flagged you down and he wasn't a cop, he didn't have the authority, he was like, hey, you know how fast you were going, pal? You're like, why did you stop me? Kick rocks. Mind your own business. And here's the thing. There's a difference between power and authority right? And last week we talked about Jesus turning the water into wine. And that was a sign of power. Like he could change water into wine. But this is um, about authority. Here's the difference between them. Power is the ability for someone to influence and control others. It's a personal trait or give power, like you're strong. Power does not follow hierarchy. But authority is the legal right for someone to give you orders and commands. It's a position or office. Authority follows hierarchy. And what we're seeing here is, is Jesus has power and authority. Amen? Yeah, he has the power to do it. He could force, he could make things happen, but he also has the authority to do it. This is my father's house. That's by whose authority I'm doing it by my dad's. And they knew when he was saying my father's house, they knew he was making himself equal to God. And he said, I, this is who I have the authority, right? I have the authority. And how do they respond? He's like, he, he goes, he, it's crazy because they say, show us a sign, right? And he even, he says, okay, I will tear this temple down. And in three days, I'll rebuild it. And they didn't get it, right? They're like, this temple, they've been working on it for the last 46 years. It's like Ala Moana. It just got bigger and bigger, right? They're never done making it, right? They just kept on building and building. And he's saying, you're not going to rebuild this. But he's like, no, I'm talking about my body. He didn't say that. What's, what I find is so interesting is this. Like, the disciples hear him saying all this stuff. And we take for granted, like, they would hear Jesus say this and they would like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? But I, I love this. It, it gives me, it makes me feel a little bit better. It says, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And they were like, now I get it. Now it makes sense what he was talking about. Remember when he was at the temple and he said, if you tear this down, it'll raise it in three days. He was talking about his death and resurrection. But let me tell you, for three years, they didn't know that. They didn't know that for three years, right? It's all of a sudden they, something happens and they're like, aha, now this makes sense, right? Like when, when Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father, right? You're like, how can that be? Darth Vader killed his father. I know what it means now. Makes sense now. How many of us uh, in, our, in our relationship with God, as we follow him, like 
man, it doesn't make sense at the time, but you look back and say, man, God was really looking out for me then. I see what God was trying to say to me then. Yeah, I didn't understand what it meant that he wouldn't leave me, that he'd be, a time, be there for me in a time of comfort. I didn't know what it meant then, but I do now. But here's the good news is this. We, what, what John is doing here for all of his readers is saying this. I want you to read this whole book in light of the death and a resurrection of Jesus. So as you're reading the gospel of John, I want you to know that he is going to die and be raised again. And that's all important to everything that he does. Then it goes on. Now, while he was in the Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. And he did not need the testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So what were some of the responses of, of what Jesus did? They questioned Jesus' authority. Yeah? They questioned Jesus' authority. Who are you to do these things? Some were demanding signs as more of a proof, right? And the Bible is pretty clear. Like, demanding a sign isn't, isn't, isn't showing a sign of faith. It's, it's saying, hey, this is a lack of faith. I want you to show me. I'm still not convinced. Why don't you show me who you are? So some people desired, demanded a sign as proof. Some people saw the signs and believed. And even the disciples, right? They didn't fully understand, but they had faith. Regardless of their response um, is this, Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew what was going on inside. Like no matter what they said, if they said, oh, okay, I will follow you or I, I do believe you're the Messiah. The Bible says that Jesus knew his hearts and he didn't entrust himself to them. He's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I know what's going on in your heart. I know you're, you're wowed by the signs. Yeah, and you want to follow me because of what you're seeing. And I know you're not fully committed yet. And now is not the time. Right? The Bible says that, that as believers and followers of Jesus, that, that signs and wonders will follow us. We're not supposed to be following signs and wonders. We're not supposed to be looking for signs and wonders. Yeah? This is where faith comes in. Now, here's the thing. I get to tell this story about Jesus, and it's a pretty crazy story. It, it's, it gets some people excited because they're like, man, I didn't know Jesus did that. But like, what does this have to do with me? What's a guy 2,000 years ago going into um, the religious norm and kicking over some tables and saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. What does it have to do with us today? What's this scripture have to do with us today? Well, first of all, it's trying to show us that God has authority, that Jesus is Lord. That's what, that's what John's doing. But it's important to ask ourselves, what, what does this have to do with me? How does it apply? When I leave here today, what's Jesus kicking over some tables and, and liberating some sheep and some doves have to do with me? But I want to tell you, the first thing is this. I, I want to tell you what it's not. It's not an invitation to rage against the machine. It's not an invitation to anytime you see something that you think is an injustice or wrong for you to go kicking tables over. Yeah? 
We love to do that. Like, like we love to be angry. We love to use the scripture to, to justify our anger and to be mad at everything. Well, this isn't right. Yeah? It's easy to come in and be like, to look at church, you know, today and say, oh, yeah, this is, there's a lot of this going on in the church today. There's a lot of this. You know, I, some tables need to be turned over, right? Like, you have coffee out there? Turn my house into a Starbucks, a den of caffeine, kick it over, right? Oh, look at all the sound equipment. Oh, you turn, there's a show, get it, kick it over. Like, it's not, it's not a green light to say anything you think is wrong that you're going to go and kick down, even if it is wrong. Let's put this in perspective. The Bible has two accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple. He may have done them more, but the Bible says two times, right? Jesus was 33 years old. He was sinless. He was the son of God. And he did this twice. People are like, when Jesus saw sin, he got angry. Like, you need to know this. Jesus could not look anywhere his whole life and not see sin. When Jesus called to the disciples to follow him, he saw their sinful nature. Jesus' reaction to sin isn't always kicking over tables. Yeah? Here's the thing we like to, we like to say, um, have, I know, have you ever heard this phrase? If you're not mad, you're not paying attention. Yeah, if you're not mad, have you been watching the news? If you're not mad, then you're not paying attention. Like, we should be mad all the time. Because we look at the world and it's dark and corrupt and there's so much garbage. And that is true. But the Bible doesn't say we respond in anger. Yeah? Well, this is what, uh, this is what uh, James says about it. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. People all the time want to say, well, I have this, I have this righteous anger. And if we're honest, it's, it's usually self-righteous anger. You know what sin really bothers me that, that makes me so upset and, and makes me want to do some other people's sin? That's the sin I really have a problem with. They should not be doing that. And I got to do something. If I don't do something about it, who will? The other thing is this, is does your temple need cleaned? Yeah? When God's going and clean, cleansing the temple, like the temple doesn't even exist anymore. The temple doesn't even exist. I think when we, when we hear these things, we, we automatically get all pent up and say, yeah, what, what temple needs to be cleaned? What needs to be done at this church? What, where is organized religion screwed up? And organized religion, man, we screw up all the time because it's full of people like us. But I'm asking you this, like your temple, the body, the Bible says that, that you are a temple. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you have received from God? Is your temple clean? Like this is a, I mean, obviously it's a gym. Yeah, you've turned my house into a basketball court. This is a house of worship, but God resides within you. 
We come here and we worship together corporately, but God says, man, his dwelling is in you now. There is no more temple. He resides. His Holy Spirit is in you. How is your temple? We're saying, yeah, they, they need to get this out of their table. And I want to flip this table and flip that table. And God's saying, no, what about the, this temple? What about the temple of your heart? What's going on? You need to ask yourself this. What have you allowed to set up shop in your heart? What have you allowed to set up shop and feel comfortable in your heart? This temple of God. This is what happens with sin, right? Like I told you that they didn't always sell the animals and change the money inside the temple. They used to do it across the way right? For convenience. Then it would be more convenient if they could just do it at the temple gates. And then it would be more convenient if they could just do it in the first area of the temple. It started creeping in. It started creeping in. And then once it got there, it set up shop and then it's demanding authority to leave. Like it's got a lease. Like, no, no, I, I live here now. Isn't that how sin is? Starts out usually with convenience. Yeah. Starts out with the convenience, oh yeah, just, it's just this. I'm just going to cut a few corners. It's just a small lie. It's just to, to get me over the hump. I just need to drink this to get me over the hump. Or I just need to do this. Then it sets up shop. And pretty soon, it acts like it belongs there. And when you want to try to do something about it, it's like, no, no, no. You don't have the authority to move me out of here now. Yeah, what do they say? Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. Takes you further than you want to go. Keeps you longer than we want to stay. That's what happened here. So I'm asking you this morning, what things are in your heart that are taking up residency in God's temple? Things that you've allowed to set up shop. The other thing is this. Are you questioning God's authority? I think a lot of us want God to clean up the temple. We want him to, to, to fix us of our addiction, to fix us of our, our selfishness. We want God to, to fix all the things we don't like about us. But he says, hey, but you know what else I want? I want that relationship that you know is inappropriate. You're like, whoa, well, whose authority? By whose authority am I giving that up? Who are you to tell me about this? Right? It's always like that. Like, hey, by whose authority? But God, man, God, you don't want me to give up this. As soon as you are challenged with something, then you start questioning God's authority. This is the hard part. Like, we love Jesus. We love the Jesus that, that hooked up everybody with the wine, that filled the tables with wine. We love that Jesus. Right? And we, don't, we like the wine Jesus. We don't like the whip Jesus as much. But you can't have one without the other. And sometimes, to be honest, man, there's some people, believe it or not, that are all whip Jesus. They're always wanting to cleanse everything and, and, and be mean and, and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. They don't want any part of the joy of a wedding feast. But it's a complete package. We want Jesus to be the wedding feast guy. We don't want him to come and flip the tables of our lives. And let me tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no way that Jesus comes into your life and lets everything be. This doesn't happen. In fact, the longer I follow Jesus, the more he's flipping. Things that I thought didn't need flipped. 
things that I thought were okay. He's like, man, I know you thought it was okay, but it's not okay. The more I follow Jesus, it's not the less I need him. It's more I need him more and more. It's not like um, following Jesus isn't like something you get better at in a sense where, um, you know, like when you ride a bike and you have training wheels and at some point you take the training wheels off, right? Jesus isn't like that. Jesus isn't like, hey, follow me and then pretty soon you'll be doing it on your own. It's like, no, Jesus is the training wheels and then it's like, man, I don't even want to ride this bike. I just want to get on your shoulders, Jesus, and go anywhere you want me to go. I'm going to depend on you more and more, not less and less. Does God have authority in your life? That's the question. We love to say he's the Lord of the universe, right? He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. But is he even Lord of your, your entertainment choices? Is he the Lord of your schedule? Is he the Lord of your finances? What are some tables that need to be turned that have set up shop that you're saying, whoa, whoa, I don't want you to turn over that. How many of you guys have bitterness in your heart that has set up shop and you're not letting Jesus flip that table? Hey, you can flip the other stuff, but I, I have every right to be mad at these people and I'm gonna hold on to this bitterness. Do you give Jesus the authority to do that? I think this is the most important part. Are you tired of cleaning yet? The answer is yes, I'm always tired of cleaning. Dude, we have laundry. Laundry is all day, every day at our house. Yeah, it's just, if the laundry is open, it's got to put more stuff in. When you have kids, it's just laundry, laundry. And you just pick up the same stuff every day. Cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. And it's never clean enough. You might have it clean for a little bit, but it doesn't stay clean. And you get tired of cleaning. Here's the thing is the, the, the temptation after hearing a message like this of, of hearing Jesus clean the temple is that, man, I got to clean up my temple. I got to get my temple clean because I know there's some stuff in my heart right now that is not good. And I need to start cleaning. What tables do I need to flip over? I don't want you to leave here thinking that. This isn't about you cleaning the temple. This isn't about you getting cleaned up to see God. We had last week uh, a miracle of, of conversion, and now we have Jesus doing a cleansing. It always is that way. Conversion first and then cleansing. But a lot of us get mixed up, man. We want to get cleaned up before we convert. Let me clean up my life. But Jesus says, no, I want to clean it. Here's the thing. You're never going to clean it the way Jesus wants to clean it. My room was never clean enough for my dad. Ever, right? I'd come, he'd come home, he's like, hey, Fulton, is your room clean? I'd say, yes. He's like, is it clean the way I want it? And I'd be like, what does that even mean? And then he would show me exactly what it means, right? We'd go on a tour of my room, right? Look in the clock. What is this? What is this? It's not clean the way I want it. Here's the difference, right? My dad wasn't going to go in there and clean it the way he wanted it. He wanted me to clean it. Jesus is saying, let me clean your house. You're not capable of cleaning it. Some of the stuff you think is good is bad and needs to be tossed. Are you willing to let Jesus come in and do that? Are you tired of cleaning? Are you tired of the stuff that's in your heart setting up shop? Here's the good news. I, I believe this to be true, is that 
Some of us have given way to our sinful nature. There's things, there's strongholds in our heart that we've given up, we've given up like the, the right to do anything. We can't even do anything about it. We don't have the authority to break the addiction. We don't have the authority to, 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 to scream it out of our life. Only the authority of Jesus can do that. We need Jesus to break the addiction. There's people, there's things in your heart right now that you said, man, I got to get rid of this. I'm going to try really hard. And they're saying, no, you're not going to get rid of it. You can't get rid of me. But Jesus says, I can. Let me in. It says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, I, I just want to ask this. Do you want Jesus to clean up? Because I think there's, there's times, I know there's times in my life as a Christian where I was like, Jesus, I give it all to you except for this part. I'm going to hold on to this part. That's how we like to clean. We compartmentalize. Yeah? So like sometimes I'm, I'm just going to clean the bathroom. If I can get the bathroom clean, that's great. Or I'm just going to clean up the kitchen. I'm just going to do the dishes. I'm going to make a dent in it. That's the way we like to clean. Jesus doesn't spot clean. He makes the whole thing clean. When he, Jesus comes, it cleans. When Jesus comes, you'll be free. But you got to allow him to do it. You got to allow him to do it. So what I want you to do is, is like the Bible says, um, um, David in, in Psalms is saying, man, search me, O God. Let me know if there's anything in me that, that, that is wrong or messed up, Lord, so, so you could deal with that, so we could deal with this. I like when Paul says, Paul says, man, I think I'm blameless. I think I'm fallen, but dude, I'm wicked. I don't know. Only God knows. Even the things I think are right are usually wrong. Are you bold enough to say, Jesus, come look at my heart? Come, there's things in my life right now that are preventing me from worshiping you the way you want. There's things that are sidetracked. There's voices. There's people haggling and bartering for my attention in my heart. And the only way I'm going to see you clearly is if you come in and do a, a wondrous work in me. Is if you come in and you make this heart of mine clean. Give me a new heart. Create in me a clean heart. Give me a new spirit, God. I can only do that through you. So as the band plays, if you're bold enough, just ask God to reveal to you the kind of cleaning he wants to do in your life. Ask him, hey, Lord, where has sin set up shop in my heart? Make it evident to me and help me to pass it on to you so you could do something about it. Spend some time with Jesus as they play.